From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Samsa, Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, June 21st, year 2017. We welcome you inside the swamps on a beautiful 68 degree evening. For this, the week after the United States Open Championship. Alright, let's, uh, let's drive the listeners nuts here. and We're going to talk about your boy and, and your fellow Seminole, Brooks Kepka at the end of of this, so we're gonna go in in reverse, kind of, uh, as as we as we talk to our friend Sean Davison. Let's start with Phil and Bones. I was stunned at this. I never thought that I'd see a day where Phil uh, and Bone, you know, that where uh, Jim McKay would not be Phil's caddy. But if you think about it, when he took the lead in Memphis, saw the leaderboard, and then said he got shocked and and reacted like a rookie. That raised an eyebrow for me. That was a very odd response. And I wonder if in hindsight that was Phil kind of saying, you know, maybe I got too comfortable with Bones and maybe I needed an, a, another voice. It could be. And to your point, you know, it seemed like that was a partnership that was never going to end until Phil retired. It was a constant, you go on Twitter and you see some of the caddies tweeting about what that relationship meant, and there was a mutual love and respect there between the two, and Phil respecting Bones as much as he did raised the level of respect and admiration for the entire caddy profession, and it is a profession, and it's a tough one at that, Um, so, you know, Bones has done a lot for the game in his own capacity, and that's a partnership that has been one of the best in the game of golf, and perhaps even one of the best in all of sport. They were just phenomenal together. And, you know, maybe the fact that they were so comfortable with each other is a reason why Phil has not won in the last four years. And maybe he does need to make a change. You know, he made the change from Butch Harmon to Andrew Getson a few years ago. He, he's been making changes, and perhaps this is the last one that he feels he needs to make. He'll have his brother on the back now. And I'm sure somebody as good as Bones is, who's widely regarded as the best caddy out there, as the best at what he does out there, He'll end up on somebody's bag, and he'll end up doing quite well for himself as well. Um, you think Bones keeps caddy? I think he could. Um, part of the rumors that I've sort of read and seen have linked him to John Rom. Um, I, I am not going right out there and saying stop the press because he's going to work with John Rom. Which John Rom denied, by the way. Rom said he's staying with his caddy. Right. So he's denied that. Um, but I do think that he will wind up with somebody that could use an experienced, you know, voice. You know, any of these young guys that are coming out on tour right now that might not necessarily have relationships set in stone could use somebody who's been out here and seen these things and won on golf's biggest stages, gone to international competitions. So I think Bones could stay out there. You see Fluff still out there. Fluff's still out there toting Jim Pierce back. So I think you'll see uh, Bones McKay out there for a few more years. Talking to Sean Davidson about various things. Let's now move on to your other baby, which is uh, the College World Series. Uh, ongoing right now in Omaha. Right now your Seminoles are in the bottom of the first inning, and it is nothing-nothing in an, in an elimination game. This is not something that I watch. This is not something that I follow. I can't tell you one darn thing about the College World Series and who will win it. So uh, enlighten me and, and the rest of the folks out there. What should we be watching for as this week continues in Omaha? So one of the things 
going into the College World Series that one a lot of people wanted to keep an eye on is Oregon State. Oregon State came into the College World Series with only four losses on the year, combined over 50 wins. That makes your eyebrows raise quite a bit when you see a Power 5 team come in with that sort of record in a baseball season that, of course, is not as lengthy or as demanding as the MLB, but still demanding in its own right. Um, the Pac-12 not quite as strong as other conferences like the SEC and the ACC, but, again, if you're in a Power 5 conference and you're putting together that record, it's worth taking a good look at. Last night they played LSU. Actually, a couple nights ago they played LSU, who is one of the better teams in the SEC, who a lot of people, myself included, thought was truly the best team in the country, and they shelled them. They absolutely shelled LSU and sent them to the elimination game tonight against my two-time alma mater. So that is tonight's game, too, because LSU has been there and has been a historical program, and because Florida State is now making its 22nd trip to the College World Series, a good story in that is that Florida State at one point didn't even look like they were going to make it to the postseason and swept the ACC tournament and then got through their regional and got through their super regional to get out to Omaha. Uh, but tonight's a real historic feel, and one of these two teams is going to take on Oregon State for the right to play in the College World Series Finals. On the other side, you've got Louisville. They, they've got Brendan McKay, who's one of the best players in the country, went fourth in the MLB draft. He is going to be a bona fide star. Plenty of time to come. So you'll hear that name a lot in the MLB, regardless of where he goes. Um, they ended up losing last night to Florida, and the story with Florida is their pitching staff, and Florida is phenomenal on the mound. So Florida is in the driver's seat on that half of the bracket, and then in the other half of the bracket right now is Oregon State. TCU is a team that is solid in every respect. There's not a whole lot. They do great, but they do everything pretty darn well. So they'll be taking on Louisville for the right to try to beat Florida twice. But at this point in time, it looks like it's Florida and Oregon State, but that's, uh, that's right now. There's still plenty of time for one of these teams that's in the loser's bracket to put together a Cinderella run. And if I can be a homer for two seconds, my Seminoles have been a Cinderella at least so far. They can they can keep it going. Perhaps they've got Cole Sands on the mound tonight. He's their Friday night arm. So it could be a fun matchup tonight, and then they'll play Oregon State twice. Who's going to win this thing? Tonight or the whole thing? For the whole thing. Who... Who will walk out of here as the final NCAA champion of this uh, 2016-2017 school year? Until they lost a couple of nights ago, I thought it was LSU. Considering how well Oregon State beat LSU, I just don't think there's a t- another team in the country that's good enough. You know, the question then was, how strong are you playing in a Pac-12 that's not quite as strong this year? And they answered it emphatically against one of truly the best teams in the country in the LSU Tigers. So I think it's Oregon State. Talking to Sean Davidson. All right, it's time. You've uh, known Brooks Kepka for a while. You covered him at FSU. You watch him at FSU. You've seen him go overseas. You've seen him put on muscle. You've seen him do a lot of things. I don't believe winning the U.S. Open was a surprise to anybody who knows his past. What was a surprise was the fact that it finally happened, and and and, and that it. T- so sorry, it was not the surprise that, that that it finally happened, but that it took so long, and that this was only a second PGA Tour win. No, you're right. There's been plenty of times that Ketka has found his way on the leaderboard, including a few of the majors that he's played in, including last year's PGA. Granted, he was playing with a taped up ankle, but see, Brooks has been a guy that has all the physical tools and. 
even so far as to say Stevie Williams said that, you know, he compresses the ball and strikes the ball unlike pretty much anybody else he's ever seen. And to me, as I like to walk the range whenever I'm covering a golf tournament, it's been a little while, but there's two that just sort of make your jaw drop. One is Henrik Stenson, the other was Brooks. And the first time I really got the chance to spend a lot of time with him was when he was trying to earn his temporary membership and he was getting sponsors exemptions and Arnold Palmer threw him one to uh, Bay Hill. And at that point, it just seemed like his game was worlds ahead of where somebody who's trying to scratch out sponsor exemptions would be. He seemed a little bit more polished. He was putting together a good run. He came off a good finish um, in the fall series at the prize whenever it was leading off and still does lead off the PGA Tour season. And I could tell then that he was ready and he was tested. He had to go through a developmental tour in Europe and uh, got his European tour card, won over there, finished top five in the U.S. Open, locked up his status, won in Phoenix. And then it's just been one thing or another that's held him back ever since. For a while, it was the putter. This year, it's been he can't hit fairways and he can't hit greens, and he hits nearly 90% of both. And when you can hit 90% of both and you're 24th in strokes game putting on the year and you put the lights out on Sunday, you're going to win yourself a major. Um, what, what was really impressive to me is the back nine. I mean, the back nine... Um, when when you make four straight birdies or three straight whatever it was when you finish as strongly as he did, um, in that kind of pressure in that kind of an environment where we've seen guys go the wrong direction and, and not the right direction, he not only won um, the U.S. Open, he won it emphatically, and that was really impressive to me um, because we so rarely see that. I would even go so far to say that he made five birdies in a row. He really made three, but the two par saves on 12 and 13. Yeah. Those were make-it-or-break-it kind of pars. You've got Matsuyama, who's making a charge down the stretch, getting the crowd a little bit behind him, making some noise. You've got Brian Harmon, who, to his credit, didn't go anywhere. He didn't get some of those birdie putts to fall. He made, he missed that one little par putt, but he really didn't go anywhere. He held station, and at a U.S. Open, typically, holding station will win you a trophy. Um, but Brooks just... It was almost as if making those couple of par putts, scratching out those pars, digging down deep, finding a way to, to get your par and get out of there is what pushed him forward, gave him that little extra shot in the rear, moving into some of the holes that he could take advantage of, and he hit the fairways, he found the greens, and he rolled in a few phenomenal putts. He did, and, and this is a golf course that with a soft setup and wide, um, and, and wide areas, um, is really uh, was fit for him. He could miss a little bit and still be okay. His distance was a huge advantage, especially when it got tough. He wound up winning at the right venue for him. Oh, he did. Jeremy, when's the last time you hit a 379-yard three-wood? Yeah, never. I mean, <laughs> he had a little downslope. He had some adrenaline going, but still, <laughs> that's a 379-yard three-wood at the U.S. Open. It was almost Cabrera-esque when Cabrera split the fairway at Oakmont. Um, he's just, there's something about him, you know. He only has now the two wins to show for it, one now being a major. But there's always just been something about him. And anybody who's out on tour, anybody who's spent any time around him, will tell you, he's always been the most underrated American out there on the tour or in the game in general. His game travels. I thought he was going to win his first major out at the Open Championship because he's got that background 
of playing in harsher weather conditions. And especially on Sunday, when at least on the front nine it was blowing around a bit, I think you saw that his game, having been over in Europe a little bit, was a little better suited for that. And he didn't make a lot of the mistakes or any of the mistakes that sometimes a leader who's in that position for the first time will make. He knew how to slide his golf ball. He knew where to shoot for greens. Everything about what he did on that front nine indicated to me that he knew exactly what he was doing, he knew exactly what he was trying to do, and he was able to execute it. He went for pins that he knew he could go for. He was satisfied with the 25-footer when he needed to be. And every single shot was struck well. I really did not see any sign of weakness out of him on the front nine. The little bobble on 10 had to scratch out a few cars and then put the pedal to the metal on those last uh, on the last several holes. But again, all the way around, it was a stellar performance out of Brooks Kepka. Yeah, talking to Sean Davison. All right, let's. Um, you and I love talking ceiling, um, and and you obviously have an inside perspective on this when it comes to stuff like this. Um, when you look at him, he won in Phoenix. He was called Brooks Cupcake by the first tee announced. He's come a long way since then. But he's had nagging injuries. A lot of people thought he had multiple wins by now. It didn't happen. Now he's won the United States Open Championship, the biggest stage um, for some in United States golf. Where does he go from here? Is this somebody who's going to win a couple more of these? Then again, we're in a time right now where it's very tough for anybody to win multiple majors. You bring up a great point. You know, We haven't seen this parody in quite some time. Where anybody, I mean, you're talking about the world's best golfers anyway around. For a little while, it looked like Xander Schauffele was going to be part of the picture, and he still finished in the top five, not to discredit that he wasn't part of, say, the lead two or three. I mean, anybody can put together their best stuff any week and walk away as a major champion. And it happened that it was Brooks this time. But I think with Brooks, you look at what he's done in some of the other majors. He's either finished outside the top 10, just outside the top 10, I believe he finished T11 at the Masters, or he's been inside the top 10 at each and every one of the other majors. Like He's finished T5 and T6 at the PGA. He's finished in the top 10 at the Open Championship. I like the way his game travels. And I think for no other reason than you've seen him contend and put himself on the leaderboard time and time again with regularity in a lot of these different majors, you're going to see him bust down the door a few more times. For me, the question is going to be, You've now won twice. The second one was a big one. You're going to be recognized a whole lot more. You're no longer the most underrated American. You just won the national championship in the United States of America. Everybody knows who you are now that pays attention to golf. Um, you know, how he handles that extra pressure, the extra commitments, the extra you know, events that he's going to go to, all the bells and whistles that come with being a major champion. I think that he's really done a nice job of getting his ball striking where it needed to be. He struggled with it early in the year, and he really started to turn the corner. I believe it was around the uh, WGC match play in Austin when he made a bit of a run there. But he's really getting things going. And and to me, it's ironic that he worked out with Dustin Johnson, that he lived with Dustin Johnson for a few months, and that he's got the same sort of demeanor as him because he is just like Dustin Johnson. He can hit it a mile. He's absolutely ripped. He's a freak athlete. I mean, he's just everything that you would expect or, you know, think about Dustin Johnson, except he's a couple years younger. So he's a younger version of Dustin Johnson. And I think that he's going to be somebody that we're going to see for a while. I would not expect or hope that he tweaks his swing all too much because it worked well just now. 
Um, and I think that it'll serve him well in the future. So I think Brooks Kepka is somebody that we're going to see. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too, you know, arrested by the moment and say he's going to win seven majors. But I definitely think he could win two, maybe three more. And then if he wins anything more than that, it's great. Let's go through some of the guys who did not pick up a win. Uh, it starts with Ricky Fowler, which was the stunning. I, 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 I was surprised Ricky played as poorly on Sunday or as lacklusterly as he did. Obviously, um, what Kepka did put himself out of reach. Same for Justin Thomas after the 63. But for both of those guys, I expected a little bit more on Sunday. From Ricky, you know, to what I just said about Brooks, you know, you're going to have all the expectations, all the pomp and circumstance and whatnot. See, for Ricky, unlike Brooks, who had to go to Europe and go to the Challenge Tour because of the Web.com becoming the official way to get to the PGA Tour, Ricky was able to come right out, play a few PGA Tour events, went into a playoff, nearly won a tournament, went to Q School, got his card, I believe. Or uh, was it Speed that had to go back to Q School and get his card, or was it Ricky who went to Q School and got his card? I'm trying to remember which. Either one of them went to Q School and got their card. I think it was Ricky. Um, but he played well. So right off the bat, when he came out of Oklahoma State, regardless, there was excitement and expectation. And then for him winning the Honda Classic and winning the Deutsche Bank and winning some of the other tournaments that he's won, going across the pond and winning the Scottish Open, there's that, there's that buildup of excitement and expectation on top of what already was. So Brooks, who didn't have as much of that to begin with, now he wins the U.S. Open, and he's going to have that buildup. For Ricky, he's sort of dealing with the same thing, even though he's not won a major, is what I'm getting at. You know, a lot of people love him. A lot of people expect him to do well because he has, by and large, in general, had a great career and has played well in major championships. So that pressure ratchets up even a little bit more, and then you get off to a great start, and now you find yourself in contention again. And I know he will win a major, and he might just win multiple, but he's going to have to figure out one. And I think what people need to understand is that he's still in his 20s. He's still young. He still has plenty of time. And he's going to figure it out. But we have to be patient and give him time to figure it out. And he will. But he's a great talent. And, you know, I don't want Brooks Kepka winning his second tournament and it being a major championship to overshadow the fact that Ricky Fowler also, despite the fact that he didn't have the Sunday a lot of people would have hoped for, is going to be and is already a bona fide star for the Americans and for the game of golf in general. Um. Is, is JT going to, I mean, I think JT is going to win one of these and maybe multiple. He's certainly got the game. You showed it with the 63. Everybody stumbles in their first time in that spot, and that may have been JT's time to stumble. You and I have talked about it a lot. You and I have talked about it a whole lot. It seems like you've got to lose one to learn how to win one. Set aside the fact that coming off of a low round, it's hard to back that up with another one. And again, this wasn't a typical U.S. Open venue where you're trying to scratch out hard. There were plenty of rounds in the 60s. So it was kind of a, a, a foregone conclusion that unless the wind howled all day long, which it ended up dying down, you were going to have to go into the 60s again. Um, but for him, to me, what JT strikes me as, he almost strikes me as like a 2017 version of 2014 Jordan Speed, who got himself into contention, who got a little rattled, who let his emotions get the best of him from time to time. He could sort of hear Justin Thomas complaining a little bit, or I don't say complaining, but, you know, voicing his frustrations a little bit after every shot, the same way you could hear Jordan Spieth getting a little up in arms. And, you know, that's just part of figuring out, I mean, being in that spot on Sunday in a major feels a lot differently, I would imagine, than being in that spot on Sunday at, you know, Bay Hill. 
all due respect to Bay Hill, it's not a major. So, you know, you have to figure out how to win, then you have to figure out how to win a major. And now Justin Thomas is going to figure out how to win a major. And uh, regardless of how he played on Sunday, I, he still finished in the top ten. He still shot a phenomenal round of golf that's going to go in the record book, regardless of which way you spin it. And, uh, you know, you've got to take positives away from that. And we'll see him win majors. Uh, he's still young as well. So very much like Ricky Fowler. Just because the guys we know or that people knew better didn't win the major championship doesn't mean that they're not ever going to. So give him time. He'll figure it out as well. He'll figure out how to manage his emotions on Sunday in a major, and he'll be great. I have a theory about uh, big names struggling, that basically in the post-Tiger era, um, they feel like it's their moment, and they get nervous, they get stressed, they, they kind of don't know what to think about themselves. And these lesser names, the Brian Harmons of the world, rise up and, and play well in big spots. Were you surprised that DJ and Rory and, and, and Rom and all these other guys stumbled? I was not super surprised to see DJ stumble just because he just had a baby. And sometimes you see it go either way. So that's why I say I'm not surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him go out there and win it. You know, the jubilant father goes out there and, and tames the course. And I wasn't super surprised to, you know, I'm not going to accuse him of being not there mentally. But if he wasn't there mentally because he just had a child two days ago, I understand that. You know, it, it's hard to be committed to what's going on in the confines of a fairway or in the confines of a golf course when you've got a newborn back home and you just became a dad for the second time. So I understand perhaps what happened with Dustin. He's been hurt earlier this year. He still said that there's, you know, he still, things still hurt, like his elbow still hurts at times um, from that fall at Augusta. John Rom strikes me very much as a Justin Thomas kind of guy, except Rom doesn't sort of show those emotions on Sunday. He shows those emotions every day if things start going awry. And if there's any tournament, regardless of how easy a course is going to play, that is going to pick at your emotions and pick at your mentality and really pick you apart if you let yourself get down about any single thing, it's the U.S. Open. So in a way, even though I could have seen John Rahm playing well, it, ne- it wasn't necessarily a surprise for me to see him struggle a bit when things started going south and seeing things start to snowball. And again, he's young. He'll learn. He'll figure it out. We're talking about young guys who, are, for the most part, are just out of college within the last year to four. So he'll figure it out, and we'll see him win plenty of majors moving forward. Um, Rory was a bit of a uh, surprise, but he's also been injured at different points this year. Jason Day has had, um, you know, the issues with his mom and, and whatnot. So, you know, I, I don't know how much any of that's weighing on him. His mom's now in the clear, but it's just sort of been an up-and-down kind of year for him as well. Um, but in general, I understand where you're coming from, and it is surprising that these guys who've solidified themselves or seemingly solidified themselves at the top of the game did not play at the top of their respective games this week or this past week at Aaron Hills. But, you know, it, it's one week. And in the post-Tiger era, we see a lot of parity. And we see Tiger even mentioned it himself. It seems like guys are missing cuts more often than he ever missed cuts. You know, you can have it one week and then you don't have it the next. And for one reason or another, it seemed like a lot of the best players in the game just didn't have it this week. And it allows guys like Brooks Koepka and Brian Harmon, who are great in their own right, to step up and pick up a major championship. Anything else you want to add? Oh, 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 duh, I forgot to ask the most obvious question. What did you think about Aaron Hills? You know, I actually like the golf course, and I like the way it looked. I like the way it was set up. 
Um, you know, I, I, thinking that it was going to be a length sort of golf course, the first thing you wonder is, goodness gracious, are the grounds, is the ground going to be brown? Is it going to look like it's out of place? I thought it looked really nice. Um, I think that if you're going to count on the wind to blow, and that's what your expectation for those scores hovering around par, which you typically see at a U.S. Open, is hinged upon, then you might want to narrow the fairways. The fairways, I thought, were a little bit too wide for it to be a U.S. Open kind of contest. I thought, you know, the way the USGA likes to demand things from the players at this particular tournament, the fairways could have been a little bit more narrower, and especially when the wind did come and rain did, um, it just sort of became open season for them with soft fairways, softer greens, wide fairways, two hits. But I think in general, I think the course was stunning. And I thought that, you know, especially at points on Saturday and early on on Sunday, the drama was there. It just wasn't necessarily at the score we're used to seeing the leaders at at a United States Open. Um, talking to Sean Davison here, I'm teeing it up. Obviously, what happened to Tiger was incredibly sad. Um, when do you think we next see him? It really was. And, you know, it, it's sad for me, too, because I just got a master's degree. So a lot of my memories of Tiger were as a little boy growing up in the Orlando area, going out to Bay Hill. As a young teenager going out to Bay Hill and watching him make the putt all the way across the green to win by one, making him, watching him make a putt in the dark to win by one, you know, those are the memories of Tiger Woods that I hold and I will always hold and I will always look back on and say I was lucky and beyond fortunate to watch that guy and to see where a lot of people are concerned about where the future of the game is. You know, it, it really does, regardless of whether or not those fears are warranted, it really does speak to the impact that he's had on this game. But, you know, good for him for taking the next step to try to get some help. This guy has been beat up and banged around by so many different injury issues. He's been on so many different medications. And nowadays, it's easy to get hooked or dependent on those things. And, you know, when one way or another over the past, say, decade or so, we've been forced to acknowledge the fact that just like any of us, just like your next-door neighbor, just like somebody who lives across the street, just like somebody who might be in your family. Tiger Woods is human. He does make mistakes. He does fall victim to certain things that you might think that somebody who's seemingly as immortal as Tiger Woods might be able to overcome or might not even be, but just a blip on his radar. And it's just, he's like the superhero. You know, you never expect to see him lose. You never expect to see him fall apart. And sadly, we've watched that. But... What I choose to think and the way I choose to look at it is deep inside that man somewhere is the same champion that won 14 majors that has won nearly 100 times around the world. And that same guy will will himself up off the mat one more time and will try one more time to resurrect his career. He's had the surgery to fuse the disc that's been nagging him. He says that it's given him instant relief. He's going to try to, you know, he's going to try to take over those demons that are taking control of him now. And, and you know, I, I wish him the best. It's almost hard to find the words. It really is, Jeremy, to see where he is now and where I remember him being. But deep down inside himself, I know there's a real champion there because you can't do all the stuff he did without being a real winner as a person. And I know that in one way or another, whether it's as a father to his kids or whether it's back on some of golf's grandest stages, we'll see Tiger again and he'll prevail. I'm just glad he's getting help. 
You know. Exactly. Step 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 number one is the acknowledgement, and he got that right in order. Sean Davison, thanks as always for coming on teeing it up and talking about the world of golf and the College World Series. All right, thanks so much, Jeremy. Go on. You got it, and that's uh, it for teeing it up tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night, everybody.